You know, whenever you hear the words in combination, the words seemingly insignificant, you can pretty much bet that there's something very significant that happened with those seemingly insignificant things. Oftentimes, life hinges on things that we see as very insignificant, right? It seemed very insignificant when 42-year-old department store seamstress named Rosa Parts, after a long day of work, was too tired to walk to the back of the bus, so she sat at the front of the bus instead and then refused to get up and move when the bus driver told her to get to the back of the segregated bus. Not a big deal, right? Seemingly insignificant. But Rosa Parks went on to be the mother of the civil rights movement. She started the, the Montgomery bus boycott that changed everything, all because she sat at the front of the bus because she was tired. Or it was a seemingly insignificant O-ring that looked like this. It was an O-ring like this that made the space shuttle Challenger blow up 73 seconds into orbit in 1986, killing all seven crew members on board. It wasn't one of the major things. It wasn't a booster. It was a seemingly insignificant O-ring that suddenly became very, very significant. It was seemingly insignificant when just before the Titanic set to sail on her maiden voyage, they swapped out one crew member for another. And it was a small oversight that that crew member who no longer was going on the voyage forgot to hand his locker key over to the one who swapped out for him. It just happened to be that in his locker, they found this after the boat sank, you would find these, the binoculars that were needed for the lookouts. They couldn't get to them because the locker was locked and the key was forgotten. Seemingly insignificant, but the lookout who was on board that day and who survived said, if I had had those binoculars, chances are we would have seen that iceberg soon enough, and chances are we would have missed it. Seemingly insignificant things shape history. They shape life, your life, right? As a church, too often, it is our children that we think are seemingly insignificant. Right? We, we would probably never say that out loud, but many of us think that, right? We, we feel and act like maybe the kids get in the way sometimes, especially if the kids aren't our own kids. Or maybe you feel that way about your own kids. I don't know. Right? So, so we're always being asked to volunteer for nursery, to volunteer for iKids, to go take care of the kids on a Sunday morning. And after church is done, you walk onto the narthex, you better watch out when you got your coffee and your cookie because some of those kids are making a beeline for their cookie and they might just spill your coffee along the way. And, and it seems like just when I'm about to make the best point in my sermon, a baby decides to cry right then, right? Kids. But when those dismissive-type attitudes begin to creep into our minds, you and I must immediately check them. We need to immediately reset our thinking because Jesus himself made it crystal clear that children are anything but insignificant in his kingdom and in his church. They don't get in the way of a great church. They are a great church. You know, I, I sometimes hear well-meaning people say this phrase, and you said it, I've said it before. 
You ever hear the phrase, our children are the future of the church? We hear that phrase, and, and I understand what they're saying, but I still cringe a little bit. Because I don't think that's true. Our children aren't the future of the church. They are the present of the church. They are the church right now. And too many times we look at what happens here in this room on Sunday mornings as a real church. And what happens back in the classrooms and the nurseries back there is kind of a support ministry, maybe glorified daycare for Sunday mornings. And Jesus made the argument that that kind of perspective is exactly wrong. See, the last thing Jesus did was dismiss children as insignificant. If you were to read Luke chapter 18, in that chapter, Jesus is busy preaching, and he's busy caring for, for this crowd of people gathered all around him. And it says that people were also bringing him babies, bringing babies to Jesus to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, right? To the disciples, all of these babies were getting in the way. They couldn't even, they weren't even old enough to understand what Jesus was saying. They were interrupting the real ministry that Jesus was doing with the adults in the area. But listen to Jesus' response. Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like this little child will never enter it. That's pretty significant. In fact, take out your Bibles. Turn with me to another encounter that Jesus had in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, page 821 in the Bibles that you have in front of you there. Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's talking with them, and, and they, they don't seem to get what he's been teaching them. And so he uses a child here in this chapter to make his point. Uh, pick it up at, verses, at verse 33 with me. It says, they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve, and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He then took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. Right, so, so you got to picture this. Here's the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest, right? Which one is the best disciple of all the disciples? Which one is Jesus' favorite, right? And you can just hear Luke saying, well, of course it's me. I'm the only one of you who's educated. I'm a doctor. You're all just fishermen. I'm the greatest. I'm the favorite. And you can see Peter snicker a little bit and say, I'm the one who always has the confidence to speak up when it's time to speak up. None of you do. Of course Jesus is going to like me the best. And, and, and there's John saying, don't you guys get it? 
It's in the Bible. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the disciple he loves. Of course I'm the favorite. And maybe even Judas gets into the picture here, right? After all, he trusted me with the money bag, right? He, he's got to trust me more than he trusts all of you. And, and, and they just keep arguing about who's the best, who's the greatest, who's the most significant of all. And Jesus huddles them up. And he takes this young child, and he has this child stand in the middle. It actually says he took him into his arms. Like, wait, I can just see Jesus giving this kid a great big hug. And he quietly declares to all of them where their significance can be found. Remember, in that culture, children were insignificant. Right? I think our culture swung the other way. We make our children maybe the center of our universe now, and we schedule all of our lives around our kids' activities. But back then, kids were very insignificant. They didn't matter. They weren't important. But Jesus takes this child, and he places an immense amount of worth on this seemingly insignificant child as a representative of all of our children. And Jesus makes it clear at that moment that, that children are our teachers. We have a lot to learn from them. Now, do children still have a lot to learn about life and about God? Absolutely, yes. And that's why we make room for them to learn. That's why we're so grateful to those of you who teach our children week in and week out. And some of us even choose a Christian education because we know as parents we need help teaching our children about God and about the ways of the world. So there's a lot for them to learn, yes. But Jesus makes it clear that there are some lessons that we as adults need to learn from watching and learning from our children. But he gives us two specific areas. First of all, we need to learn true humility from our children. Think about the context. Here are these disciples, all of these adults, arguing about who's the biggest and the best in the church. Who's most important to Jesus? And this little child that Jesus pulls into their midst, he has no position. He has no title. He didn't come with a long list of accomplishments to make him worthy of being put in the center of the circle. He doesn't come demanding respect. He's just a kid. He comes empty-handed and humble. He's probably scared to be pulled in the middle of the circle of, of men. And Jesus says, that's exactly what all of you disciples, what all of you followers of Jesus need to learn. We need to learn how to be humble. We need to learn how to give up all of our pride before God and come as we are, simply and honestly. Jesus was talking about humility when he declared that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because so often it's our pride that keeps us apart from God. It's our pride that, that sets up this barrier as we, like the disciples, go to God and say, God, don't you like me? Don't you see what I'm doing? Don't you see how good I am? Oh, that means nothing. Remember, it's all about grace. And grace is received in humility. We learn humility from our children, and we also can learn from them faith. They are teachers of faith. 
Jesus tells us in Luke 15, we heard it earlier, that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like this little child will never enter it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like this child will not enter it. This child that he has teaches us about faith. We as adults need to learn about faith from our children, our children who freely accept the fantastic gospel story for themselves, our children who who eagerly place their confidence and their trust in Jesus, our children who have hearts wide open to the ways and the things of God, the things that we as adults so often try to explain away, right? We end up making faith so complicated. We try to explain it and understand it and dissect it and debate it, and it leaves us paralyzed. Because at its very heart, faith can't be explained and dissected. It simply needs to be accepted in faith. Some of you may have heard of the name Karl Barth. Karl Barth was probably the greatest theologian of the 20th century, an absolutely brilliant man. In 1962, he made his one journey to the United States, and um, and it was the end of his career. He was an old man by then, and, and he was asked on his visit, he was asked to summarize, an impossible question, right? Summarize all that you have learned through the millions of words that you've read and the millions of words that you've written about God. Can you summarize it for me? And he paused for a moment, and he looked up and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Just the songs we heard sung. And he was done. The faith of a child. That's what he came back to after all of his study, after all of his work, after all this deep theology. He said it's a simple faith, the faith of a child. And we learn that from our children. I find it interesting in Matthew 21. We just finished the Easter season, right? And remember Palm Sunday, and Jesus comes in, and he goes to the temple, and, and he's in the temple courtyard. He's healing, and he's teaching. And there's people there who are, who are shouting his praises. They're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Do you remember who's doing that? It's not the adults. It's the kids. It's the children. And Jesus, at that moment, reaches back to Psalm 8, and he quotes it, and he says, From the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth your praise. When it comes to humility, when it comes to faith, God has given you and me wonderful teachers. They're our children. Jesus also makes it clear that when God places children within our community, within our faith family, and within our own families, he gives us a huge responsibility as well. Our children are a trust given to us by God. Right? In, in verse 37 of Mark 9, the same chapter that we just read as it continues to go on in that chapter, Jesus trusts us with the responsibility of welcoming children into his kingdom. Right? Let, let, me, let me give you just one stunning statistic this morning. And if this, doesn't, if this doesn't kindle your passion for children to know the Lord, then I don't know what will. 
Here's a statistic. 80% of everybody who becomes a Christian, 80% of Christians accept Jesus before they turn 18. 80% accept Jesus before they turn 18. In other words, the Holy Spirit moves powerfully in the hearts of children. And God entrusts us with the responsibility and the privilege of preparing their hearts, of cultivating the soil of their lives, so that when God comes and His Holy Spirit plants the seed of belief in their hearts, it can grow with the faith that He gives them. Parents, that trust has been given to you primarily. Grandparents, too. It is in your homes that God builds that faith foundation that the Holy Spirit can then build upon. Parents, it's your responsibility, it's your privilege to teach your children about God. And so please, don't hesitate to talk about Jesus with your kids often. Don't hesitate to have those spiritual conversations. Read your Bible with them. Let them see you and hear you doing devotions. Pray with them. Share your own faith experiences and your own faith story with your children. Volunteer at church with them. Let your children see you loving God and living like Jesus. That's a trust that God has placed in you when he gave you your children. And we as a church community have committed ourselves to helping you. We will help you tell the stories of Jesus. We will help you teach the Bible truths. We will help build a Christian community for your children. But we cannot take your place. We cannot take the place of you as parents. We cannot take the place of the influence that you are having at home. Not even close. But we'll help you will come alongside of you. That's the baptism promises that we make when you bring your children here. God has entrusted your children to you to welcome them, to be a welcoming force into the kingdom. He's also entrusted us with the children for us to protect them. Right In verse 42 of Mark 9, Jesus goes on in that chapter to say this. He says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Those are pretty significant words. We have a huge responsibility to protect the children that God has entrusted to our care. We are called by God to protect them spiritually, right? We need to teach them truth. Many adults, but many more children are susceptible to lies, to believing the lies and the untruths. And so we need to help them learn how to discern fact from fiction and faith from foolishness. Our own faith as adults, as parents, as grandparents, uncles and aunts, our own faith needs to be growing stronger and stronger so that we can teach our children even better what is true and what is right. It's our responsibility as parents And then as the family of God together to protect our children spiritually from error and lies and help them to discover truth. But we also need to be protecting them physically. This place, this building, this community needs to be a safe, safe 
place for our children. And we are so grateful that as far as we know, over the over half a century that Ivernest Church has been in ministry, we have not had the pain of a of physical or sexual abuse that many churches have had to face and deal with. And it's our responsibility to ensure the protection of our children into the future as well. That's why we have a child protection policy and a, and a child protection team. That's why we ask everybody who volunteers in children's ministries to fill out a child protection form. That's why when you go pick up your kid after church, not just anybody can come and get your kid. You got to have the tag. Even if we know you, we're not going to give it without the tag. Because we're protecting our children. And that's a calling that God has given us because we love them as he loves them. So when you see your children, when you see children around here, know that, that God has given them to us to be our teachers. And they are also our trust. And God absolutely treasures those children, and so they need to be our treasures as well. Right? Well, while Jesus was here on earth, he specifically gave thanks to God his Father for the Holy Spirit working in children. It's in Matthew 11. Uh, in Matthew 11, he's praying a prayer, and he prays this out loud so that, so that everyone will hear it. And this is what he says. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, his parables, his stories, right? You've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. God has a special purpose and plan and passion for his children. We see it again and again. Jesus makes a place for children in his community, in his circle, and we should too. And I'm so grateful for all the times that I see this happening well here at Ivan Rest Church, where we recognize our children to be the blessings that they are instead of thinking of them as, as bothers or burdens. You know, one of, the, one of the most joyful moments that comes to mind, to my mind, in worship lately is the Sunday when, when Alexander Cunnan was baptized. Maybe you remember that morning. I, some of you were probably there. You might remember that towards the end of the service, we had the baptism, we had the sermon, we're wrapping the service up, and, and Alexander's big brother Isaiah felt comfortable enough and convicted to come forward and join me for the parting blessing at the end of the service. And, and there he is, sitting up front with me for the parting blessing at the end of the service. I look at that moment, I got that picture on my phone, I haven't let go of it yet. I look at that picture because Isaiah was so far from an intrusion. He so was not an intrusion. He blessed all of us who were there, and he's blessing us now with a picture of true community here at Ivanrest Church as he came forward to help me give the blessing to all of you. This is what the family of God looks like, young and old together, kids, kids there giving blessings to adults. It happened again, well, not this, but I was struck Monday, Thursday night. If you're here on Monday, Thursday, you know that we come forward for communion around four tables set up here. And, and over in this corner, 
Matt Winkle was serving communion at this table. And I had already, already received my communion, so I was just watching. And, and Matt's family was sitting in this section, and so they were released to come forward and, and have communion at Matt's table. And I watched as his little girl, Claire, ran down this aisle and ran to her dad, Matt, and just jumped into his arms and stayed there. And so he served communion with Claire in one arm and the plate and the juice in the other. And those of you who have been around here long enough know I'm not much of an overly emotional kind of guy. I had tears running down my cheeks as I watched that. Because that, my friends, is where children belong. In the heart of ministry. In the heart of the really important things that we do here as the family of God. To be right in the center. They are not a bother. They are a blessing. They are what church is all about. God has blessed this community of Ivanrest Church. He's entrusted us with almost 200 children, age 18 and below. 200 children that, that if they're going to accept Jesus into their hearts, they'll probably do it before they turn 18. 200 children who have been entrusted to us as parents and grandparents and as a church community as a whole. What a wonderful responsibility. What a huge opportunity. And what an absolute privilege for every single one of us. From them, we get to learn humility. We get to learn faith. And then we get to pray for them. We get to continue to cultivate the soil of their hearts for God by caring for them in the nursery, by teaching them in their classrooms, maybe even just by paying attention to them in the narthex and, and loving them on a Sunday morning. So take hold. Take hold of those opportunities, those opportunities for you to be faithful to the trust that God has given to you and to us together. Because Jesus makes it crystal clear that these children who sometimes in our eyes may seem seemingly insignificant are incredibly important to him. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the children of this community for the children who model for us faith and who model for us humility. Thank you for the children who ask us great questions when we're trying to teach them. The children who run through the hallways of this church because they're so comfortable here, it feels like home. The children who give us hugs and cookies. May we see them, Father, the way that you see them. As vastly important children who are loved dearly by you. Teach us as adults to make room in this community and in our lives for the children, that we might love them in your name. And we might help cultivate the soil of their hearts for your Holy Spirit to work. Thank you for trusting us enough to bring almost 200 children into this community. 
May we be faithful with that trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.